You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, everyone. Well, let's pray and we'll get started. Let's get into the word. Hopefully we're going to wrap this series up tonight. Uh, If not tonight, definitely next week. So, but let's pray and let's get started. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, thank you for the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for us. Thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection for the price that he paid, his precious blood that was shed for us to purchase our forgiveness and our redemption. And we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the written word of God tonight. We thank you that it is alive. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And Father, I thank you that as we look to the word of God, we expect to be taught by the Holy Spirit. We expect to be fed, our spirits fed, Lord. And I thank you In Jesus' name, that Father, by the time we get through with our lesson tonight, none of us are going to be the same. We're all going to be better. We're going to be stronger and with more faith. And Father, we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I just want to touch on one of the scriptures we've been using as a foundation, and that is found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And uh, you can read the others uh, from Matthew 16, verses 1 through 3, and Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Uh, But Colossians chapter 1 just jumped out to me uh, just of late. And so uh, in the Amplified Bible, it says this, For this reason we also, from the day we heard of it, have not ceased to pray and make special requests for you, asking that you, the believers, may be filled with the full, deep, and clear knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom. And then the Amplified defines what spiritual wisdom is. It says, in comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God and in understanding and discernment of spiritual things. You know, this verse right here, verse 9 kind of flies in the face of a lot of what I heard when I was growing up about God and, you know, that God was so mysterious and you're never going to be able to understand him. You're never going to be able to understand his ways and how he thinks, how he operates and all of that. Well, Paul prayed by the spirit of God and said that, uh, that we ought to be filled with comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. So it is possible for us to understand those things and to receive that knowledge by the Holy Ghost and to be able to understand some things about God and be able to, uh, you know, wrap our hearts around what he's endeavoring to do. You know, it's hard to follow somebody you don't understand. And Jesus wants us to be followers of him. And so I don't believe that he intends for uh, knowledge about him or about our Heavenly Father to be this foggy, mystic, you know, just a pool of misunderstanding. I believe it's something that we can learn. Um, You know, now the good thing is, is God is so big that we will never fully understand all of him, but we can begin to grasp parts and pieces and 
things like that. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, that throughout the ages to come, God will constantly be revealing his goodness to us. You know, can you imagine you've been in heaven for a thousand years and you're still seeing things about the goodness of God that you've never seen before? Well, that's just how big the Lord is. And so in talking about all this, I'm not going to go back and review everything that we've talked about in the previous 10 weeks, but I do want to talk about um, and just spend a moment reviewing how, practically speaking, God is going to lead us. How is he going to provide direction for us? How is he going to provide insight for us? And we, you know, if you'll recall, we established uh, a couple of things. Number one, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, you are a spirit being, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. So you are spirit first. You are a spirit being first. You possess a soul made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions, and then you live in a physical body. Now, we also said this, that the part of you that when you receive Christ as your Savior, the part of you that was born again was not your body, was not your soul, it was your spirit. Your spirit is what was born again. Your spirit is what was recreated in Christ when you received him as your Lord and Savior. Now, Romans chapter 12 tells us that we need to renew our minds, so that's what we do with our souls. And then he also says in verse 1 of chapter 12 there to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So he gives us insight as to what we're supposed to do with our souls and with our bodies. But it's important that you understand that you are a born-again, recreated spirit being alive unto God. Okay, so it's that's crucial for you to understand that. Uh, you're not trying to become an eternal being. You're not trying to get eternal life. You already have eternal life. And, uh, you know, listen, it's almost a misnomer. Uh, did you know people that aren't born again are going to live forever? Just like people who are born again are going to live forever, spiritually speaking. you Just because you get saved doesn't mean you're going to live forever. You are an eternal spirit being whether you are saved or not. Now, your eternal destination Deter is determined by the decisions that you make while you're here in the earth, but you are going to live forever. And so just because you're saved does not mean you become an eternal being. That is, you, you get eternal life as a result of being born again. Now, the second thing I want us to see is this. God lives on the inside of you. First John chapter 4, verse 15. Anyone who confesses or acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. So God doesn't live in your flesh body. God doesn't live in your soul. He doesn't live in your mind. God inhabits your recreated human spirit. Now, how do we know that? Well, Jesus told us in John chapter 4, that God is a spirit being. God's not a flesh being. Did you know that God himself, as far as the head, Godhead of the Godhead, the God the Father, does not have a physical body. Now, he took upon flesh when, when the Lord Jesus came into the earth, and so the, the second member of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus, does have a flesh body. 
But God the Father and God the Holy Spirit do not have a flesh and bone body. They are spirit beings. And so when you got born again, the Bible says that God moved in on the inside of you. He became a resident on the inside of you. Now, the reason that I emphasize that so much is this. Any direction that you need from heaven, any insight that you need from God the Father is going to come to you in your born-again, recreated spirit. So a lot of times we fall into the trap of when we need wisdom or we need direction or we want to know what the will of God is. We spend all of our time looking out, you know, at natural circumstances or looking at things to fall into place. <coughs> Pardon me. But you can't do that. You have to look in here first. Now, that's not to say some natural things cannot confirm what's going on in here, but I'm telling you, there are going to be times when you'll know it is the will of God for something to take place and the circumstances all around you are telling you that it's not God's will for it to take place. You know, I, I'm reminded of the ministry of Paul the Apostle. You know, there's this misconception that when you're in the will of God, everything is peachy and rosy and everything's just going smooth as it can be. And if that's the case, then the Apostle Paul never got into the will of God because his life was never really easy. His life and ministry was never really easy. He faced a lot of hardships and persecution and so forth and so on. And uh, so if what was going on around him was a guide as to whether he was in the will of God, then uh, he missed it big time. And of course, you and I both know he didn't. And so again, you are a born again, again recreated spirit. God lives on the inside of you. So revelation, revealing of, of divine information from the Lord is going to take place in your spirit. All right. You need to establish that. So how is God going to provide that direction? Well, I began giving you these things the last time we were together. The number one way is this, or the first and primary way is through the written word of God. God's going to speak to you through this book. This book is not just ink and paper. Jesus said, my words, they are spirit and they are life. So this book is filled with direction. It's filled with wisdom. It's filled with revelation that God wants to bring across to you. And so a lot of what we need to know as far as God's will is concerned can be found in his written word. So that's where you start. But there are going to be some specific things that aren't revealed to you in the written word of God. You know, where do you work? Where are you supposed to live? Who you're supposed to bury? All those things. No, the Bible does not spell that out for you specifically. So how then do we know? Is that something that we're just supposed to guess about? No, God is, and let me say this, God is interested in every detail of your life. He's interested in leading you in every detail of your life. Why? Because he wants you to experience his goodness. And the only way that he can pour out your good, his goodness into your life is if you are walking in his will, plan, and purpose. So how then do we find out about the specifics? Well, the second way God will lead you 
is primarily through what is called the inward witness. The inward witness. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirits that we are the sons or the children of God. So when you get born again, the Holy Spirit reveals to your spirit that you are born again. And uh, so there is a bearing witness, if you will, that takes place by the Spirit of God. There's a knowing down on the inside of you. So the Holy Spirit will lead you in this same way uh, regarding every decision of your life, just like he does and reveals to you about your salvation. Now, what do I mean by that? Go over with me to Colossians chapter 3. You're there in chapter 1. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. You know, when you're pursuing knowing and understanding the will of God, God is going to lead you through the inward witness. And, you know, it's going to seem, uh, it can be very specific, but it's not sometimes going to be spelled out for you. In other words, there's not going to be handwriting on the wall or something like that. Um, let me show you Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 Paul said this, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. The way that you're going to know that you're following the will of God is in your spirit. Right down here, in your spirit, you will have a knowing and a peace. There will be a peace. So as a believer, you and I are to pursue peace in our spirits. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but, um, you know, God will lead you when something is right, when it's a right direction by a peace here. But God will also warn you when something is not right, when you're approaching something that is not right for your life by a, a non-peace. Non uh, there will be an, an uneasiness. I've heard it described a whole bunch of different ways, but you know, I, I like to say it's like a, a scratchiness down here. There's just something bothering you in your spirit. There's a lack of peace. And that is the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that that is not the direction that God wants you to go in. You know, maybe uh, you can understand it this way. You ever met someone and on the surface, everything seemed great, but you just had something down here on the inside of you that said something is just not right about this person. You're not judging them. You know, you're not looking for things, but it's just an uneasiness down here in your spirit that uh, something is just not right. And uh, that's the way God wants to lead you is by bearing witness with your spirit that something is either right or it's wrong. If it's right, there will be a peace there. The Amplified Bible of Colossians 3.15 says to let the peace of God be the umpire of your life. Let the peace of God in your spirit be what determines where, whether something is right or wrong. And I'll say this to you. You know, when you're faced with a decision or faced with a choice or, or something along that line, you may not have a knowing immediately. Well, spend time, and we'll talk more about this later on, but spend time in prayer and in the Word of God 
until you do have that knowing. Okay. And if, and listen, I'll, I'll tell you this, God is never like that high pressure used car salesman. Okay. God will never pressure you into anything. The devil pressures you into things. You know, one of the things, and I'm glad we don't have to do it very often, but one of the things I despise doing is going on to a car lot. You know, you, you go on and, and, uh, the salespeople bless their hearts and, you know, they mean well, and I'm not, picking on, on those salespeople, but they're on you to use a country phrase, you know, they're on you like buzzards. I mean, you know, they start circling the moment you hit the lot and then they pounce on you when they get the chance. And then it's very high pressure sales most of the time. And, uh, you know, and to get you to make a decision, they'll do all kinds of things. And here's a, you know, a thing that they've started of late and, you know, within the, probably the last 10 or 20 years is they'll even let you take that new car home and get you emotionally attached to it. And you all the time on the inside of you, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be making this decision. I don't need to do this, blah, blah, blah. But your emotions are now already involved and they got you excited about it. And you know, what's the worst thing in the world having to take that car back and tell them, no, thank you. Okay. Ask me how I know. All right. But the thing that I want you to see is, is that when God is dealing with you, there will be a peace, but do not move until you have that knowing down on the inside of you. And again, we'll talk a little bit later on about how to get that sensitivity. The third way that the Lord is going to lead you is his written word, number one, number two, the inward witness, number three, is by the inward voice of your recreated spirit. And this is a little bit stronger than the bearing witness. This is what we call our conscience. Your conscience is your spirit speaking to you. Now, we've talked about this, and I won't go too much in depth to it, but uh, the your spirit is who convicts you of sin. The Holy Spirit does not convict you of sin. Okay. So that's why it's important for us to stay close to the word of God and close to the, to our relationship with God and walking with him so that our hearts are tender towards his leading and directing. But it is important that we remain tender in our own conscience so that our conscience can convict us of when we're wrong. Uh, you know, if you're like me, Anybody ever said something, and the moment you got those words out of your mouth, you thought to yourself, man, I shouldn't have said that, or maybe you did something, and the moment that you did it, or a little while after you did it, man, you knew down here that that wasn't right. I shouldn't have done that, okay? That is your spirit convicting you uh, of that wrong, and uh, it's very, very important that when you receive that conviction out of your spirit, immediately repent for whatever it is that you did. Okay. Immediately repent, ask God to forgive you. And of course he will, according to first John one nine. Now, again, as I said, it's very important for us to remain tender hearted towards the things of God. Don't let your heart become hard towards that conviction. Now I will say this, and I, and I need to say this on the negative side, when you tolerate sin in your life, 
and you continue to practice sin in your life, you're causing your conscience to become hard and hardened to the things of God. And it will be more and more difficult for you to be able to receive conviction and correction when it needs to come, because uh, you'll be convinced that you're doing the right thing. Okay. And uh, so we've talked about that in, in, in lessons in the past. So here's the fourth way that God will lead you. And, and we touched on this, I believe, and that is by the voice of the Holy Spirit. So you have the written word of God, you have the inward witness, you have your conscience, which is the voice of your spirit, and then you have the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Now, he speaks to you down here in your spirit, but it seems as though, because it's more forceful than the other three ways, it's going to almost seem uh, so authoritative to you that it's, it seemed like it was audible, but it wasn't. He was speaking to you in your spirit. Go over with me to the book of Acts real quick, please. We looked at this scripture before, but I want to look at it again. There's other scriptures that bear this out, but in Acts chapter 10, verses 19 through 21, Peter was having a vision, and uh, he saw uh, this is when he was uh, being led of the Lord to go and minister to the Gentiles, to spread the gospel to the Gentiles, and the Jews had not done that up to this point, and so God had to bring revelation to him that uh it, that he needed to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he was on the rooftop and he had a vision. And in this vision, there was a sheet that was lowered down and all of these animals walked out on this sheet. And the, the spirit of God spoke to him and said, arise, kill and eat. Well, there were animals that were out there that the Jews were taught and are considered unclean. And he said, I can't, I can't do that, Lord, because these animals are unclean. And the Lord spoke to him and said this, do not call unclean what I have cleansed. And, and this vision happened three times. And so Peter, after he saw this, he's up on the rooftop and he's, he's meditating on what he's seen. So in verse 19, it says this, while Peter thought about the vision, notice this, it says, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you arise. Therefore go down with them doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now, these men were sent to Peter to, to get him so he could go and preach the gospel to them. But here's my point. Notice that Peter, as he was thinking about the vision, it doesn't say that he had, had an inward witness. It doesn't say he just felt like or was inspired to, to go. It says the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, these three men are seeking you, arise and go with them. So this, the voice of the Holy Spirit is, as I said, more authoritative than the previous three. Now, I will say this, in my own life and ministry, in, let's see, 46 years now of having been born again, I've only had the Lord minister to me maybe two or three times this way. The rest of the time, it's it's by the other way, the written word of God, the inward witness, and, and my conscience. But there have been times, and one of the times 
that the Lord dealt with me, and I've shared this with you before. I won't go into the story tonight, but I was in danger of missing the will of God in a great way, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and, and got my attention so that I can make an adjustment in my life and follow after and pursue after his will, plan, and purpose. So you want to be aware that God will lead you in that way. Now, again, let me emphasize, this is not an audible voice that you hear out here. We do not seek audible voices, okay? You, you don't cry out and ask God, God, let me hear your voice. You know, let me hear it with these ears right here. You know, it's okay to pray and say, Lord, uh, I, I want to hear from you in my spirit. I want to receive from you. But listen, don't start fasting and praying, asking God for visions, asking God to speak to you and all of that. Um, because here's what will happen. Satan and his team will accommodate those prayers. You know, the Bible says that even the devil himself can appear as an angel of light. And so when you start praying prayers like that, you begin to open yourself up for deception and you don't want to do that. Stay within the guardrails, the parameters, if you will, of the word of God. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse 21, Paul said, test and prove all things. So anything that you receive from the Lord and you perceive it to be direction from him or revelation from him is 100% of the time going to match up with the Bible. It's going to match up with the written word of God. Okay. The scripture says in first John chapter five and verse seven, there are three that bear witness in heaven, the father, the word, and the Holy spirit. So you're never going to find the Holy Spirit saying something different than the Word says. And you're never going to find the Word saying something different than the Holy Spirit says. God the Father, God the Son, in, in the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit are in agreement 100% of the time. Okay, So always when you hear something or receive something or perceive something in your spirit, check it out with the Word of God. Okay? Now, I tell you what, I'm going to jump to something that I, that I talked about at the end of tonight's lesson. So if you're following along with my notes, go to the very last page and let me talk about this. Go over with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And I'm going to go ahead and cover this and then we'll talk about, we'll back up and, and talk about how to become more spiritually sensitive. But Acts chapter 2, verse 17 said this. Now this is on the day of Pentecost, this is the day the Holy Spirit was poured out on the, on the church. And it's a glorious day. You know, you have brand new believers that have been filled with the Holy Spirit. They're praying in other tongues and they're excited about the things of God. And Peter gets up and he preaches a, a message. And he says this in Acts chapter two and verse 17, talking about signs that will take place as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he quotes from Joel chapter two. Now, if you look at Acts chapter two, verse 17, Peter quotes this and he said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And then there's some other things that he quotes from uh, uh, Joel chapter two. But what I want to talk about for just a few moments is what about visions and dreams? Because I know of late, you know, within the last few years, there are certain ministries that place a lot of emphasis on visions and dreams. Now, visions and dreams are scriptural. They are biblical. Okay, so I want to say that. Um, however, you don't need to pursue visions and dreams. Visions and dreams happen as the Spirit of God wills, not as you will. Notice Peter said that, that God would pour out of his Spirit, and then visions and dreams would follow. It doesn't say anybody was pursuing the visions and dreams, and then they came. So it's very, very important that you understand that. So visions and dreams take place as the Spirit of God wills. Now, uh, then you have, in addition to that, we're not going to look at it, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you have the nine gifts or the manifestations of the Spirit. Three of the gifts of the Spirit are, are revelation gifts. There's the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. All of those gifts bring revelation and insight, and they're wonderful, and they're given to the church, but they all operate as the Spirit of God wills. Now, why am I saying this? Okay. If you have a vision, a vision, or let's say, and a dream, or and or a dream, uh, both of those things, if you experience that, should confirm something that the Lord is already dealing with you in your spirit. Okay? I, I've only had uh, a spiritual dream twice in my life. And in both instances, now, by the way, I will say this, okay, and this is just what I have seen from the Word of God. When, when you, as a born-again New Testament believer who has the Holy Spirit living down on the inside of you, if you have a vision or a dream, you will not need to seek after human interpretation, the Holy Spirit will bring that light and that revelation to you. As I said, uh, I've only had two spiritual dreams, a couple of spiritual dreams in my life. I did not have to go and ask someone what they meant. That's Old Testament. If you remember, that did happen in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, we see where Pharaoh had dreams. We see where uh, you know, other leaders, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and Daniel interpreted those dreams. Okay. But what's the difference? The men that were having the dreams are, were not born again and did not have access to the spirit of God. You have access to the spirit of God. So therefore it is not necessary for you to have to go find somebody to interpret your vision or your dream for you. The Holy Spirit is well able, if it is a vision or dream from him, to bring the interpretation. Let me go back. And as I said, those two that uh, spiritual dreams that I've had, 
both times, the moment I woke up from having the dream, I immediately knew what the interpretation was. The Holy Spirit immediately brought that light and revelation to me. Okay. So what am I saying? You, if it is something that is a manifestation of the spirit of God in your life, you do not have to seek human help to help facilitate what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in your life. Let him bring the revelation. Let him bring the insight. Okay. Let's talk about personal prophecies for a moment. Now, prophecy is, is for those of you who may not be familiar with that, a prophecy is an inspired word from God uh, given to either a body of believers or an individual. And, um, you know, it is part of the gifts of the Spirit. It is something that, that should be operative in the church today. But if somebody comes up to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you, it's okay for you to say, okay, what is it? And you, they tell it to you, okay? Let me say this to you. If it is by the Spirit of God, it will minister or confirm to you something that is already in your spirit. If it does not, either put it on the back burner or forget it. Because there are well-meaning people, I mean, good people, don't misunderstand me, that mean well, that are trying to be used by God, that do things like that, and um, they miss it. And I'm going to be honest with you, I miss it too. Okay, so I'm not knocking anybody. But the thing that I want you to see is this, is that the Holy Spirit will begin to deal with you about something or minister to you about something, and then he can bring other uh, people or other things into your life to confirm what it is that he's endeavoring to minister to you. So I do not discount dreams and visions, personal prophecies and things like that, but always, always, always prove them with the word of God. And then secondly, it should be in line with something that you already know in your spirit. Okay. And it's never going to violate the written word of God. You know, if somebody comes up to you and, you know, they're, uh, you're married and they're not, and they get a word from heaven that you're supposed to be their spouse. Uh, I can tell you right now that is not from the Lord. Okay. But, and you know, that sounds funny, but you would be amazed at how stuff like that happens in the church. And I'm not talking about our church. I'm just talking about the church overall, because people aren't taught. They don't understand spiritual things and uh, they don't know how to handle these things. Okay. So I wanted to mention that to you so that you could clearly understand. Now let's back up and let's go back and let's talk about how do I become more spiritually sensitive? You know, you and I live in a natural world. The Bible says, Jesus said, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. However, in our daily living in this world, you and I have to navigate through natural things all the time. And uh, unfortunately for a lot of believers, 
That is the extent of their spiritual activity is on Sundays and maybe Wednesday nights. And uh, that's good. However, you need much, much more than that. All right. So because what you need to understand is the natural world is pulling on you all the time. The natural world is draining, trying to drain the life out of you all the time. You've got people in your life that, you know, they don't know any better and they don't mean any harm, but they suck the life out of you. You know, uh, we all have those in our lives and uh, we're supposed to love them anyway, but you need to learn. I need to learn. We all need to learn how do we maintain a, a spiritual threshold in our lives so we're not so naturally minded and focused that we're able to understand and discern spiritual things. You remember what Paul prayed? And a lot, you're not going to be able to discern and understand spiritual things with wisdom and accuracy if you are focused on the natural all the time. You've got to be aware of spiritual things. You know, think about the ministry of Jesus. You know, Jesus, there was nobody that was more spiritual than Jesus, but yet in his spirituality, he was able to navigate and be successful and effective in his life in the earth. And, uh, you know, and praise God, he wasn't spooky. He wasn't weird. You know, he, he didn't embarrass himself or God, you know, in the things that he did. And so my, my, my point is this, there is a way to live that kind of life. And that's the, the life that God wants us to live as believers. All right. So that all being said, let's talk about how do we become more spiritually sensitive? Okay. Number one, I think you can probably guess what this one is, but number one, give the word of God first place in your life. Let this not, there's nothing wrong with other means of information coming into your life, but this needs to be first and foremost and primary. Okay. And so many people, so many Christians fit this into their lives instead of making their lives fit around the word of God. Okay. What do I mean by make it first place? Well, you're going to have opportunities in, in dealing with your life and navigating through your life and, and dealing with natural things to run into conflict between what the word says and what things are saying in the natural. And you're going to have to make a decision at that point. Do I go the word way or do I go the natural way? And so when you make a decision to give the word of God first place in your life, you make a decision and, and you etch it in concrete and you say, I will go the word way every single time. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you know, you might not make a mistake, but you, you make up your mind and you say, you know what, I am going the word way. So if the word says something that contradicts what the natural is saying. I'm going with the word of God. Now, hopefully, you know, there are times when both are in agreement and that's great, but there are going to be times when the two are not, and you're going to have to decide I'm going with what the word says. Go over with me to Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55. So put the word of God 
first place. Make it first place in your life, not only in priority and importance, but also in making decisions and looking at you know, what you need to be doing. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says this, uh, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near, let the wicked forsake, forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Verse 8, and you know these verses, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, stop right there for just a moment. That's where a lot of believers stop. And they say, yes, God's ways are above our ways and his ways of thinking are above our ways of thinking. And, you know, it's just beyond human understanding. It's beyond whatever, what I could possibly grasp and all of that. We'll finish what the, what the scripture says. Because he says, yes, I do think higher than you do. I do things higher than you do. But in verse 10, for as the rain comes down in the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So all that being said, if you want to know what God's higher thoughts are, they're right here. If you want to know what God's higher ways are, they're right here. You know, I'm thinking, for instance, right now, the Bible says in Romans chapter four, when talking about Abraham, Paul said that God speaks of those things which be not as though they were. Now in the natural, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. To, one translation says he calls those things uh, into or that don't exist as though they already do exist. And see, that, that flies in the face of, of natural circumstances and what the natural will tell you. But God's ways are higher than that. And so what, what we have to understand is that if we're going to operate like God does, then we're going to have to take that kind of thought and that kind of action. Okay? Okay. Uh, Another couple of verses, just write these down. First, uh, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, in the NIV, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Hallelujah. So don't let the word of God be your last resort or an afterthought. Let it be the first thing you go to. So after, you know, if, if you've got a crisis going on in your life, don't let it be where you've gone and asked everybody else what you should do and then all of a sudden you think, well, I wonder what the Bible says about that situation. Has anybody seen my Bible? Anybody can get, can, can, in my Bible in there? No, let the Bible be the first thing that you go to. All right, here's number two. So you make the word of God your final authority first and foremost. 
Number two, you're going to have to spend time meditating in the word. And I talk about this a lot, but it's true. And you're going to have to spend time. What is what is meditating in the word mean? Meditating in the word means you spend time thinking about it, meditating on it. Um, you know, if there are verses in the Bible that you don't understand, the only way that you're going to extract that revelation from them is by spending time thinking about them. You know, I use this example a lot. If I'm going along in the Gospels, and, uh, you know, as I say to you all the time, I've learned through many years that Jesus did not do random. He did not do accidental. He didn't ramble with his words. If Jesus said something, it was on purpose and it was had a design behind it. So if I'm reading the Gospels and I come across something Jesus said and it, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever, uh, then I'm going to have to find out what is it saying. So first thing I do is I say, Lord, you know, I want to know what you mean here in these verses. And then what I do after I pray that is I'll take those handful of verses, maybe it's one, two, three, four verses, and I'll read them over and over and over again. And as I'm reading them, I'm thinking about them. Now, of course, there are Bible study aids and tools that you could go and get that can help bring some additional insights, some dictionaries and, and uh, Greek dictionaries and so forth and so on. But as you're reading those verses, just keep thinking about them and meditating and going over them and over them and over them. That's actually what the Hebrew word for meditate means is to, it actually means to mutter to yourself, to mumble to yourself. But the implication is, is you're just going over it and over it and over it. Another uh, part of meditation, you know, my, I'm just sitting here and I'm looking at a verse in uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 27, uh, where Jesus said this, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You need to make it a habit to take a verse like that. That's one, one verse, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 words and spend time thinking about that. Think about all the things that you've always thought were impossible, that people told you were impossible, things that people told you would never, ever take place. Well, this verse says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You know, another verse says, Jesus said that uh, all things are possible to him that believes. So, you know, spend time thinking about that, going over that. You know, I, I, I'm firmly convinced, and I include myself with this, one of the things that keeps us where we are in life, uh, at the same place, all the time, and, and I'm going to challenge our church at this, and I'm going to challenge you with this, I double-dog dare you to evaluate your life, and if in the December 31st, 2024, your life is no different than it is right now at the end of 2023, then I would venture to say you're missing God somewhere. What do I mean by that? And I don't mean that to be a hard statement, make you feel bad, but I'm saying 
God is always working in our lives to bring us up, to bring us higher, to take us higher, to take us deeper in our relationship with him. He's always moving in our lives to improve our lives and to help our lives be better. And so if we're walking with God in the way that we need to be walking with God, we ought to be able to see over a period of time measurable results, okay? And so I just challenge you with that. But a lot of that's going to come through meditating in the Word of God. Joshua 1.8, write that scripture down. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, for then you shall observe all to do in it, and then you will make your way prosperous and have good success. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. I'm going to paraphrase this for the sake of time. But uh, the, David, the psalmist, he wrote and he said, the man that meditates in the word of God is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His leaves will never wither and whatever he does shall prosper. Now that sounds too good to be true. Everything You mean, you mean God, everything I do can prosper? Yep, that's what he said, okay? So what's the key though? The key is spending time meditating in the word. When you spend time meditating in the word, you're causing some changes to take place in your life. Now, here's number three. Now, I know these are super simple, but, but we need to get them anyway. Number three is practice the word of God. Practice the word of God. You know, another way to say it is be a doer of the word, but, but I like the word practice. Practice, because there are some things in the word of God in order to be good at, you're going to have to practice. You know, just like anything in life, uh, athletics or, or you know, sp any sports, whatever. If you're going to get good at something, you're going to have to practice it. And if you're going to be good, if you're going to get better at walking in love, you're going to have to practice walking in love. What does that mean? Being very intentional. When people get on your last nerve, being very intentional. I am going to walk in love towards this person. I'm going to practice this. And I promise you, when you start making decisions like that, you're going to have opportunities to practice. Don't worry about the practice sessions. They're going to show up. Okay. All right. You're going to have opportunities to practice your faith. That's the way you're going to be good at using your faith is by practicing. And I remember being in Bible school and, you know, and I was just 18 years old out there and I knew nothing and, uh, you know, but soaking it up like a sponge. And of course there in the school, there were young people like me and then there were older people and, and so forth and so on. But I remember them telling us and brother Hagen would tell us, he would say, you are not going to be able to start out believe in God. Now he's talking to people who are going into ministry. He said, you're not going to be able to start out believing God for millions of dollars for your ministry when you need it. He said, you're going to have to start out believing God for a pair of socks. And he said, if you can't believe God for a pair of socks, forget believing God for millions in order to accomplish God's will, plan, and purpose in ministry. What was he saying? You're going to have to become skilled and efficient and practice using your faith with where you are. Because I'm going to tell you something, and I did it. 
not necessarily with socks, but with small things. I started out with some small things. You know, it might be a couple of dollars. It might be something, you know, just back then, you know, $5 would buy a lot of gas, okay, for your car. And, uh, you know, this is 40 some odd years ago. So, you know, I, um, and I had a, a Volkswagen back then and, you know, I could go a long ways on five bucks, but, you know, I would just start out believing God for something small. I would pray and I would confess and I would stay in faith until the manifestation came. And I'm telling you, there is other than the word of God, there is nothing that will bolster your faith more than for you to start seeing some victories like that in your life. Okay. And then, you know, don't settle with, uh, you know, sock or $5 faith, you know, begin growing your faith, begin looking, uh, you know, for more. And I'll tell you this, those of you who are parents, teach your children how to live by faith, teach them, you know, when they come to you and they want something, uh, you know, a, a toy or whatever it might be, tell them, let's pray and let's believe God for that. And uh, make it become a faith project. And the two of you get in there together and you believe God for it. And you'll be amazed at how God will respond to that and show up and minister and meet, the, meet that need. But it's a wonderful lesson. Okay. So practice the word of God. James 1, through 25 talks about being doers of the word and not just hearers only. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, talk about building your house on the rock, which is doing the word of God. You know, when you do the word of God, you're like the man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms came, the house was not blown down. The man who heard the word and didn't do or practice what he heard, when the storm, same storm came, his house was blown down and destroyed. Okay. So let me give you an example of, of, of real quick about how to practice the word of God. Philippians chapter four, six, the first four words of that verse say this, don't worry about anything. Okay. All right. So you're faced with a decision. Am I going to do what the Bible says? Well, I already said, I'm going to put the word first place. So if, if, if that's what it says, then that's what I'm going to have to do. So I, I cannot, from this moment forward, I can't worry about anything. He said, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. All right. So when you see that, you get that revelation and you make the decision. All right, Lord, I'm going to obey your word. My days of worry are over right now in Jesus' name. Now, let me tell you what's getting ready to happen. You're getting ready, or as we say in the country, you're fixing to have the biggest and best opportunity to worry yourself silly, okay? The moment you make that decision and decide that you're going to do that, um, you're going to have opportunity to worry. So you're going to have to make up your mind. Are you going to practice what the word says or not? And, uh, you know, I love what verse 7 says. Verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. And verse 7 says, then... You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Here's what we forget. Verse 6 comes before verse 7. 
the getting rid of the worry comes before enjoying and having the peace. Okay. So you're not going to get the results of verse seven without doing verse six first. So you're going to have to make up your mind. I'm going to practice this. And listen, you're not going to overcome worry in 15 minutes, particularly if you've been a chronic worrier all your life. It's going to take effort. It's going to take practice. It's going to take you speaking the word of God. No, I'm not going to worry about that. In the name of Jesus, my God takes care of me. My God supplies my needs. I'm not worried about that in Jesus' name. And I promise you, the moment you get those words out of your mouth, here's what's going to happen. But what if? No, 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 no. I'm not entertaining that in the name of Jesus. And, and it's going to take some effort, but you've got to practice it. And then you'll become better and better at it. And it'll become easier and easier for you the more you practice. Okay. All right. I It's a couple minutes past eight. I got two more things to go. Uh, do you want me to go on or do you want me to? All right. Anybody want to? Want me to go on? Won't take but just about five more minutes. Okay. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I see we're a good. couple of hands. All right. Ushers, help me look one more time. I see those hands. Okay. Yes, we're good. <laughs> All right. All right, here we go. Number four. Instantly, and we talked about this a, a little bit ago, but instantly obey the voice of your spirit or your conscience. Make the decision the moment. I sense that conviction down here in my spirit. I'm going to respond to it. Make that decision. Don't let it go on and on and on for four, three or four days before you finally deal with it. No, make, because that's your spirit dealing with you. And the more and the faster and the, the, the quicker rather that you respond to that, the more sensitive you will become. Okay. So when you sense that conviction, respond to it. If it means you need to repent, do it, do it right then. You know, if, uh, you say something to somebody and, uh, your spirit convicts you and, and says, mm, you shouldn't have said that. Okay. Don't let that go days and weeks before you do something about it. No, if you, if you need to go right then to that person and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I just said something that I shouldn't have said to you. And, uh, you know, they may not have even paid any attention to it, but you're doing yourself a, a whole lot of good by acknowledging that and yielding to that conscience um, when you instantly respond to it like that, okay? So as your spirit grows, as you feed it with the word of God, as you spend time in prayer, your spirit will become more and more uh, prevailing to you. In other words, you'll become more aware of it. Your antenna will go up. Your, your, your radar will be more in tune to what's going on in your heart. Okay. And here's the last one. Number five, spend time praying in the spirit, spend time praying in other tongues. Okay. The Bible says three things, and I'll give you these to you real quick, three things that you're doing when you spend time praying in the spirit. Now, first Corinthians, the 14th chapter in, uh, I'll just read it to you real quick. First Corinthians 14 and, uh, verse two says he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So the first thing that you need to understand 
When you spend time praying in the Spirit, you're, you're praying directly to God. It's a hotline to God. You know, I'm old enough to remember the old Batman and Robin shows. And, you know, Batman had a red phone in his study and the commissioner had a red phone in his office. And if the commissioner ever needed Batman, all he had to do was pick up that red phone in his office and it would beep at Batman. And, you know, and so they would know they had to go and respond. Well, you have a direct hotline to the Heavenly Father the moment you begin to pray in the spirit, because you're not praying to anybody else. You're speaking directly to God. The second thing that you do when you spend time praying in other tongues, the Bible says in that same verse, it says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. How be it in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. In the Greek language, that word mysteries means divine secrets divine secrets. Now, what are divine secrets? Divine secrets are things that only the Father and the Holy Spirit know. And of course, Jesus, but the Godhead. All right. And when you spend time praying in the Spirit, you are praying out, even though you don't understand it with your natural mind, you are praying out divine secrets, divine mysteries. Okay. And uh, listen, there are more divine secrets than you will ever, ever tap into in your life as a believer, okay? So what does that mean? That means that there are things that are in the heart of God concerning you that the only way that they're going to come out is when you connect that way with the Holy Spirit and allow him to pray those things through you, okay? Here's another thing. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. I'm just going to quote it to you real quick. He says that, you know, sometimes we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That, that actually means in the Greek language that cannot be uttered in articulate speech. Okay? It's not that they can't be said. It's they can't be said in your known articulate language. Now, he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So when you yield yourself and you spend time praying in the Spirit, you are allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through you what is God's perfect will for your life and what pertains to you, your, your family, your, your business, your job, whatever. You are allowing God to, or the Holy Spirit to pray through you the perfect will of God for your life. And then lastly, Jude uh, chapter 1 and verse 20 says this, but you, my delightfully loved friends, constantly and progressively build yourselves up on the foundation of your ho most holy faith by praying every moment in the Spirit. The, the Greek word that King James says edify, the Greek word is, is simply this. It's the, the closest thing we have to it in the English language is charging like a battery. Spiritually speaking, when you spend time praying in the spirit, you're charging yourself up, spiritually speaking, in your spirit by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when you spend time praying in the spirit, and I'm telling you probably... 
between that and everything connected with the word of God, those two things that the Lord provides for us by the Holy Spirit, the written word of God, and of course, the ability to pray in the spirit, those two things working together are what's going to cause you to be able to move forward, uh, spiritually speaking, in growth and otherwise, I mean, light years ahead of where you are right now. Okay. And it's wonderful that he's made those resources to us. Praise God. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.